Interesting enough, um, even Merton himself says, my best writing has always been in journals. <laughs> he wrote his journals in a way to be read, which is interesting. One doesn't usually write in their journal to be read by later people. Why not? But he wrote them very well. I mean, I, mean, I guess... Like your thoughts, I think that's the basic... Remember, he's a writer, though, so... It's mine, this yours. He has to be correct, I guess. Can't use foot, no. Can't use scribbles, no. Intangible scribbles, no. Well, it does make good reading. We're reading in, it's all going to be the 60s because we're, the whole thing ends in 68 and we're in 1961. You think he wrote all the way to the end? Yeah, he did. He's like Thoreau in a way, he wrote his whole life. Yeah, once you start writing a journal, you can't stop. Remember I told the girl who moved to Chicago, I said, well, you can leave New York, but you can go there, but you can never leave New York. Once a New Yorker, you can never leave. Uh -huh. Just like saying, once you start writing a journal, you can never stop. Because uh -huh. the force of creativity is unstoppable. I am always at a turning point in my spiritual life. Perhaps, that's why he's always writing. I am perhaps at his turning point in my spiritual life, perhaps slowly coming to a point of maturation and the resolution of doubts and the forgetting of fears, walking into a known and definite battle. May God protect me from it. The Catholic worker sent out a press release about my article which may have many reactions or may have none. At any rate, it appears that I am one of the few Catholic priests in the country who has come out unequivocally for a completely intransigent fight for the abolition of war and for the use of nonviolence means to settle international conflicts. <laughs> There's people who became uh, experts in conflict resolution. <laughs> So they're trying to not have wars anymore. <laughs> you couldn't do that with Hitler. Oh, uh, conflict resolution? With Hitler. Mm. How do you do that? I don't know. That's the problem. Sometimes you can't. Hence, by implication, not only against the bomb, against nuclear testing, against Polaris submarines, but against all violence. This I will inevitably have to explain in due course. <laughs> Our last satsang lesson was on nonviolence, right? Mm -hmm. Nonviolent action. Now, it's, now he has nonviolent action. Not mere passivity. So here you have to be actively against violence. Uh, there's a whole theory about how good men are active against violence to prevent it. 
how am I going to explain myself and defend a definite position in a timely manner when it takes at least two months to get even a short article through the censors of the order? It's a question I cannot attempt to answer. <laughs> in a way, I think the position of the order is in fact unrealistic and absurd. That is, at a time like this, no one in the order should seem to be concerned with the realities of the world situation in a practical way that monks in general, even those Benedictines who can speak of fully are immersed in little scholarly questions about medieval writers and texts of minor importance even to scholars. This, in the greatest moral crisis in the history of man, this seems to be me incomprehensible. <laughs> Do you think that my reading of medieval mystics like the Cloud of Unknowing or St. Vicar or is not relevant. Uh -huh. These little scholarly questions about medieval writers, especially when it is a definite policy of the Cistercian order to impede and obstruct every expression of concern, every opinion in published written form uh -huh. that has reference to the crisis. Uh -huh. This seems to me extremely grave. The futility of taking the issue up and solving it is evident. I talked to Father Clement de Beaumont. Remember? Beaumont. He's not the same Beaumont as the poet. The abbot general secretary about it, and it was like talking to a wall. Totally incomprehension, lack of sympathy. The general himself is more understanding, and Dom James, too, sees the point somewhat. They surprisingly released original child bomb after the censors had definitely blocked it. Hmm. They have censors. He, he, he published child bomb? I don't know, sir, if the church or if the publisher or who blocked it. I don't know. The criminal, they don't, don't have to eat them. Hmm. The Jesuit who condoned, even apparently encouraged, the business of sitting in your fallout shelter with a machine gun to keep others out. <laughs> the Jesuit. <laughs> Should we sit in a fallout shelter with a machine gun? This is the best Catholic theology that has had to offer in this country, so it appears. <laughs> At least I feel clean from having stated what is certainly the true Christian position. Not that self-defense is not legitimate, but that there are wider perspectives than that, and we have to see them. It is not possible to solve our problems on the basis of every man for himself, and saving your own skin by killing the first person who threatens it. Yeah, I am happy that I have turned a corner, perhaps the last corner of my life, the sense of abandon and home-going joy, love for the novices whom I see as though dwelling in light and God's blessing as we go home together. The thought is not negative nor destructive, it is a fulfillment. Whatever happens to the world, its infinitely varied dance of epiphanies continues, and it is perhaps finally transfigured and perfected forever. Well, he didn't solve the problem of violence. If he had solved it, we wouldn't have it now. <laughs>
October 27, 1961, Tom McDonnell was here last week working on the Merton Reader. I It was a distraction. I brought It brought me again into the realm of doubt and uncertainty. It seems to be necessary and right. And at moments I glimpse at the possibilities of dishonesty and self-deception it brings with it. The creation of another image of myself. Fixation on the idea that I am a writer who has arrived. <laughs> Which I am. <laughs> I am a writer who has arrived. Which I am. But what does it mean? Arrived where? A void. Has there been anything else in my life but the construction of this immense illusion? The guilt that goes with it. What is this? A justification for a second illusion. Certainly I can have no peace in this kind of nonsense. My home is elsewhere. <sighs> October 30th, 1961. The anchor in the window of the old Zion church before it burned in... 1924-25, this is the earliest symbol of which I remember being conscious. It was struck by it, I was struck by it, age perhaps seven or eight, but could not see why it was in a church window. Perhaps I did not know what it was, yet I had seen the symbol somewhere in crossing the ocean, and I desired to be a sailor. Anyway, there was an anchor in the window, and I was aware of it. I have forgotten almost every other detail of the church except perhaps the eagle on whose outspread wings the Bible rests. And even of this I am not sure. Was there really such an eagle? And whether or not it is relevant that the anchor is a symbol of hope. Hope is what I most need and what the world needs most. You think the world right now needs hope? Hmm. Yeah. Different. Something other than hope. Yes, wisdom. Wisdom, yeah. Wisdom would be great. Uh -huh. That's why we're reading Merton, because he's pretty wise. Uh -huh. It was all his contemplation. He became wise. Uh -huh. November 4th, 1961. Aunt Kit was here on her way back to New Zealand. Delighted at having hopped over New York in a helicopter, I it rained yesterday. We sat in the gatehouse and made tea and talked about the family. She had already written to me about it, but I will try to put down the essentials as I remember them. James Merton from Stoke by Nyland in Suffolk, bailiff of the Torlisi family. The Mertons were apparently the only ones in the village who could write. Uh -huh. Was James's son Charles already a schoolmaster there? He says the only people in their village that could write were the Mertons. <laughs> in 1856, with the Torlesses, James Merton Charles, his son, and their families went to New Zealand to settle, or did James stay in England? Charles, the music precentor in St. John's Church, Christ Church, Rangiara, taught school, his wife, melancholy and silent, Frank. Alfred, my grandfather, his son was born in New Zealand. Music master at Christ Church, Christ Church. Christ Church, Christ College, Christ Church. My grandmother, 
A Grierson born in Wales of a Scotch father. Her uh, family's, her mother's family, Welsh, the birds, miniature of a lieutenant bird in the Navy was once over the mantle at Burston House, don't remember. It's from the bird family that our family comes, the one father and I have, and Kit has, and Dick Tear has, the look, the grin, the brow. And Granny lived in Cardiff. And as a child had an infantile paralysis, they did not think she would live. She lived to be 101 when she came to Flushing with Kit in 1919. I was four. I remember her very well. The reason her affection, Kit said Granny and my mother didn't get along. Mother said Granny was being too indulgent with me and that I ought to be made to obey. I remember mother as strict, stoical, and determined. Granny believed children ought to be brought up by love. <laughs> her mother, her grandmother was not strict. His grandmother, but his mother was. <laughs> she complained that the grandmother was. The grandmother was like me. Brought and they, up by love only. When they came to Flushing, I don't know which Flushing that is. <laughs> probably a flush. Probably one in England or something. <laughs> Granny's integrity, directness, sincerity. Mother's integrity, directness, sincerity. She was artistic, but not an intellectual. She was practical. It was Granny who brought the house in Christchurch and kept everything together. Christchurch is in New Zealand. Granny in London would meet people by the Elgin Marbles in the British Museum. Elgin Marbles, was greatly interested in architecture history. Kit was a history teacher. I told her to read... Christopher Dawson. Hmm. This is about his family. I don't know what it, what I said, what I read. Appreciated them, the Greek sculptors. Oh, yeah. She believed she was something like me, I suppose. Ha. She thought students would grow up in love only. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to discipline anybody. No. <laughs> Not a child, anyway. Really? Maybe I'll try you. Discipline me? Because I expect them to somehow grow up. Why are you disappointing me? Growing up with club and example, they learn. So, growing up, you expect them to understand it. Like I was expecting my father to understand a few things, but I was unable to communicate uh, that to him. So. Since you don't give up early enough, you, don't you learn that you can't reason with people. I don't give up that up. It's the first thing to give up. Give up trying to reason with people. <laughs> and yet, that's what everybody does all their lives. That's I can, what the master does by lecturing, by talking. Reason to people. He's trying to get uh, the benefits. Yeah, he sort of has the job of doing that, doesn't he? So, but, it seems it's natural. Yeah, he has that job, but a rest of us don't. My father was born in 1887 in Christchurch, left school about 16 to work in Bank of New Zealand, but left for England about 1904, studied art, returned to New Zealand, oh. and back to England with money he had made, and the exhibition in New Zealand came stirrage. His overcoat was stolen, reached England cold and penniless. 
had an allowance from Aunt Maud, studied in Paris, worked also for Tudor Hart in his studio. My mother, whom he met in Paris, was studying interior decorating. They married, hoping to sell pictures to tourists who came through south of France, but the war stopped that. They married about March 1914, came to U.S. about April 6, 1916. There you know. That's how you know his history. They left during the war, eh? 1418, the war lasted four years. It just said they came to the U.S. April 1916. Yeah. In the middle of the war. My mother was strongly pacifist and opposed father going to war, saying it would be murder. She always was strong on poverty and did not want to have many possessions. So whatever asceticism I have in me seems to have to do with her. My problems about asceticism is inseparable from my problems with her. Certainly, I understand my vocation a little, a bit better. Her mother was ascetic. <coughs> she His was mother, a minimalist. Yeah. She was a minimalist. She caused him to be a monk. Uh, a modern minimalist uh, interior designer, and being an interior designer, mm. that happened uh, in the after the war. The, Minimalist, the modern movement. If you're the great artist, like how come I'm the minimalist around here? You, you should are be. the minimalist. Why aren't you minimizing the junk around here? I mm -hmm. have the same things uh, mm -hmm. since I moved here, more or less. And it is less, mm -hmm. much less than you. I'm not the one who had ten watches. All right, uh, okay. Or, uh, All right but lately uh, I've been minimalizing. To name everything. By the time you minimalize and you have uh, one of these, yeah? You'll come to where I am. I okay, I've come. You were before me, a minimalist. Sad to see Aunt Kit go, 32, 42 After years. Now we've been uh, recorded. <laughs> I didn't well, know we're going to have a fight one day and we're going to be recorded. We're not fighting over it. Arguing. Yeah, but I did downsize and did declutter and stuff. 42 years you since have, I saw. You the garage is full of junks. The garage? Yeah, you still have so many tubs in the garage. The tubs keep going down, though. There, I take one, two tubs and combine them into one you. routinely. Take you another ten years to get down to the. Here, if I could ever get out of here into the garage, if there's ever some sunshine, I can work on it. Uh huh. Huh. I know you worked every year on it, and you have for the next ten years. Ten years. Work to do. Dear, I've cut in half. If I annually cut in half my it's things... It's not 10 years to get down to the one number, only one. I'll have one job. <laughs> 42 years since I last saw her, and we'll probably never see her again. The only blood relative I have seen for thir 20 years. Lots of lines in her face, but much animation. That's Aunt Kit. Then, and energetic, she reminds me of Aunt Maud. Yeah, I only had one watch, and that I get it. One watch? Yeah, I had gifts like Yeah, dear, you only had one watch, but... gold things, uh, You hey, never you know, know what time... Them. You never know what time it is, and we don't have... If I want to know the time, here it dear, is, just I have to look at it. We don't have a clock in the kitchen. Every, uh, you, so every room in, in the house has to have a clock? It's two steps to the kitchen. You can't tell me what yet. time you put the... the Food on the stove. <laughs> Even the stove has a clock. We could be so minimally that we don't even use time anymore. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't. All right.
We're talking about November 27, 1961. Last night I was on the night watch. Last Sunday after Pentecost. Wasted time brooded. The cloud that hangs over everything is more than a mood now. It is difficult to realize that the source of that has always been just a kind of pretending that is now suddenly fitted out with objectivity. One may say... Men have always expected a universal cataclysm, and it has never come. Do you think that men have always expected a universal cataclysm? Maybe they expect that because they expect Jesus to come when there would be one cataclysm. Now that it is quite, well, even he says, now, now that it is quite possible and within man's own power, one begins to think that man has always expected it because it was coming as a result of a... Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, you keep forgetting that uh, compared to uh, atomic weapons, and coronavirus is really quite tame <laughs> in its damages. Yeah. What's it, How do you compare all-out nuclear warfare with coronavirus? We have to have a better mask. Uh -huh. A better mask. I suppose. And maybe a body suit. <laughs> For against atomic weapons, are we prepared for? Are we prepared? Is the U.S. military prepared for biological warfare? Bye. But now, since he can destroy everything and cannot stand the tension of waiting or face the labor of patient reconciliation, fortunately one thinks such a thought without understanding it as a child thinks of death. On the night watch, hurrying by, I pushed open the door of the novice's scriptorium and flashed the light over all the empty desk. I was, it was as if the empty room was wholly full of their hearts and their love, as if their goodness had made the place wholly good and rich with love. The low loveliness of humanity which God has taken to himself in love and the wonder of each individual person among them. This is a final and eternal significance to have been appointed by God to be their father. I have received from them, from God as a children, to have loved them and been loved by them with such simplicity and sincerity without nonsense or flattery or sentimentality. This is completely wonderful and is a revelation, a par parousio of the word of history. That, that history may now end is not so relevant. For this kind of love necessarily springs hope, hope even for political action. For here, paradoxically, hope is most necessary. I just keep asking, is hope necessary in our situation? Hope. Never give up on hope. Hope is always the most necessary, precisely where everything spiritually seems hopeless. Uh -huh. I love that green of the tree, that early green. You like it? Fresh. Oh, the tree. Light green. This is precisely the confusion of politics, hope against hope, that man can gradually disarm and cease preparing for destruction and learn at last that he must live at peace with his brother. <laughs> 
was I reading and mm. no, uh, mm. they don't uh, hope mm. they say mm. hope is the something that was quite negative for hope hope yeah I don't know what I read it um, mm. what book the new platonist I read like hope maybe oh. something of the mm. new platonist that I read uh, was mm. like uh, hope is uh, like for the people who don't know Oh, you were maybe reading something. Yeah, copies for the ignorance. Never have we been less disposed to do this. Okay. It must be learned, it must be done. Everything else is secondary to the supremely urgent need of man. Maybe we'll finish uh, in 61 here. I got one page and I can finish timely enough. Uh -huh. December 11, 1961, yesterday, day of recollection, realized again above all, all my need for profound and total humility, especially in relation to any work I may do for peace. Humility is more important than zeal. What do you think, dear? Can you compare those two? It seems one is necessary uh. for... Uh other situations and the other is necessary, like they talk humility is one of the best qualities you can have, and then they want you to have zeal for God, so you can uh, <laughs> have a great zeal and just go forward. What's the recent thing I found that God was humble? How could God have great humility? God. We have to be humble because God is. Oh, we always reflect everything to How God. How is it God? Well, if God has all, you see, God has all the good qualities, right? So it's like love so and all that stuff. All good qualities so, he, have so he must have humility, mm -hmm. right? So to, for us to become God, we have to have humility. So, goodness. Descent into nothingness and dependent on God. Otherwise, I am just fighting the world with its own weapons. There, the world is unbeatable. Indeed, it does not even have to fight back. It, I will exhaust myself, and that will be the end of my stupid efforts. <laughs> to seek strength in God, especially in the passion of Christ. <laughs> now, this is the last, last section in the 1961 journal, which is December 27th. It rained at first, but now the day has turned softly bright in the afternoon. There is a little cutting wind, and the sun is out, though it is pale. Most sit in the monastery writing their letters. This morning I was praying much for a wise heart. I think the gift of this Christmas has been the real discovery of Julian of Norwich. I have long been after her, and hovered at her door, and known that she was one of my best friends, and because I was so sure of her wise friendship, I did not make haste to seek what I now find. That's a lady saint. Julian of Norwich. I wonder if Norwich is in England. She seems to me a true theologian with a greater clarity and organization and depth even than St. Teresa of Avila. I mean, she really elaborates the content of Revelation as deeply experienced. It is first experienced, then thought, then the thought deepens again into life so that all her life the content of her vision was penetrating her through and through. She's a mystic, dear. Mm -hmm. We should read some of those uh, experiences <coughs> they talk about and visions. 
We can look up Julian of Norwich. You think they talk about, they tell exactly the visions they have? They, she tells her visions. One of the central convictions in her ache, eschatological orientation to the central dynamic secret act, quote, by which all shall be made well. Unquote. At the last day, our, quote, great deed, unquote, ordained by our Lord from without beginning. Especially the first paradox, she must believe and accept the doctrine that there are some damned, yet also the word of Christ shall be saved in all things, and all manner of things shall be well. <clears throat> the heart of her theology is this apparent contradiction in which she must remain steadfastly. I believe that this wise heart I have prayed for is precisely in this, to stay in this hope and this contradiction fixed on the certainty of the great deed, which alone gives the Christian and spiritual life its true, full dimension. Hmm. The great deed. What is the great deed? End of 1961. Huh. Hmm. Where were we? Huh. That's it. Huh.